I know I've enjoyed thinking new through this series, New State of Mind. I hope that you've been encouraged by it. I hope that you've been edified as well and that you are uh, uh, transformed. Living out Romans 12 too, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And that's what we've been talking about over the past five weeks. Now, this is the sixth week of the series. This is going to be our sixth and final week of the New State of Mind series. We could have done a whole lot more weeks, but I hope that this has been profitable for your walk with Jesus. We've been using this quote to just remind us what we're talking about and why it's important. It comes from the revivalist A.W. Tozer. He says this, what comes into your minds when you, we think about God is the most important thing about us. You may think the most important thing about you is the shoes you're wearing. It's not. You may think the most important thing about you is your uh, GPA in high school. It's not. You may think the most important thing about you is something different. It's really what you think about God because that will determine your destiny. And that will determine how we view God. That That will determine how we view life. And we need to think rightly about God. So let me just really quick pull these last five, these five up on the screen. We talked about thinking new, a framework for a new state of mind. We talked about thinking kingdom, as Pastor Gary gave us a great challenge and charge on thinking kingdom. We talked about thinking gospel and how the gospel is the good news of Christ and we should not be ashamed of it. We talked about thinking biblical as the Bible is the foundation for all that we do. Everything we do, everything we say, everything we think, should, be, should, should find its home, should find its origin in the scriptures because the scriptures are good and true, historical and reliable for us. And finally, think praise. And last week we talked about how even on the brightest days we should praise God and on the darkest days we should praise God. And on the ordinary days where it's not dark or it's bright, it's ordinary, those are good days to praise God as well. And there's evidence for that. So on this last week, I kind of wrestled with what, what would we use to close This new state of mind series and the word that just kept coming up on my heart is the word that I want to share with you today for this last week of new state of mind is think grace. Think grace. Think grace. It's important that you and I have a grace-saturated mindset. That we, we don't just think all five of those and miss the grace of God. The grace of God is so essential to each one of those components. It's because of his grace that we're able to even sit in this room and breathe right now. So if we miss grace, we miss it all. So we need to think grace. We need to be people of grace because we are people of grace. And so I want to go ahead and kick it off this morning by talking about what it means to think grace. The first point of the message, can you all call it out? What's the first point? Think Jesus. Think Jesus. In order to think grace, we first must think Jesus. It's been a pattern for the last five weeks. When it comes to renewing your mind, having this new state of mind, you first must start with thinking Jesus. Thinking about Jesus, thinking about who Jesus is, what did Jesus say about it, thinking Jesus. It's so important. Why does grace have so much to do with Jesus? I want to show it to you in John chapter 1, starting off at verse 14. If you're ready, say ready. Ready. If you're hungry, say let's eat. Come on, let's pray one more time. Father God, right now, as we get ready to read your word, eat from your word, Lord, we need some nutrition. God, we need some filet mignon steaks from your word today. God, we need some some baby food from your word today. We need it all, Lord. We're all at different places in our spiritual journey, but we all need to be fed, God. 
including myself. So Lord, teach us now through your word. If you agree with that in Jesus' name, say amen. 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 John chapter one, verse 14 starts out by saying, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Full of what? And truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Verse 16, for from his fullness we have all received, say it with me, grace grace upon Grace. grace. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Let's keep going. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What came through Jesus Christ? Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He, Jesus, has made him known. I want to highlight some of these moments in these four verses that I think are essential for our walk with Christ, full of grace and truth. John says, we've seen him. We've seen his glory Glory as of the only son from the father, and he's full of it. Have you ever heard someone say, man, he's full of it? Well, you could say that about Jesus, but you know what you'd be talking about? You're like, Jesus, you're full of it. He'd be like, I know I am. I'm full of grace, and I'm full of truth. So even when you miss the truth, he's still full of grace. You need both. He's full of grace. And truth, they're they're two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. That's why we talked about thinking biblical, because you need truth, because Jesus is full of truth. He is the truth. He's the way and the truth and the life, but he's also full of grace. As you look at verse 16, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. I envision it with like the word grace with the little two at the top right corner, like like grace multiplied (laughs) because he all knew that we were going to need a double dose amen Amen. how many of you guys know that god is the god of the second chance how about the third chance how about the fourth chance how about the 50th chance that's grace upon grace that jesus said you know what i'm full of grace and truth and when i come and people receive me they receive grace and grace some more full of grace upon grace for the law the law is a good thing david validated the law the law the law is a is a perfect thing that we find in the old testament the law reveals to us our sin and brokenness the law reveals to us that we're in need of a savior in christ we find our savior in other words in christ we find grace the law came through moses but the bible doesn't end at the law the the the, the word keeps going the word became flesh and grace and truth came through jesus christ No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. Jesus has made God known to us. That, my friends, is grace. He's made him known. That that Jesus has came and he's revealed to us somebody. He's revealed to us the Father who is full of grace and truth. If you're going to think Jesus then you have to think grace, you have to, because Jesus is grace. If you're looking at a picture dictionary and you looked up the word grace, it should just have a picture of Jesus. He's the definition of grace. 
I like how Pastor Judah Smith says it. He says that grace is not a principle. Grace is a person. Grace, Jesus is grace personified. So the, the actual person of Jesus is the definition of grace, and that's good for all of us to know because all of us are in dire need of this person. Not just this principle, not just this concept, like, oh, yo, I need to pull out my card of grace. No, it's this person named Jesus. Let me give you some definitions of the word grace, just because I wanna make sure we all are in the same ballpark. When I said grace, some of you guys thought about praying before you eat. That's not what I'm talking about. All right, when I, when I said grace, some of you thought about like smooth and swift movements. It's not the grace I'm talking about. I'm talking about a biblical grace. I'm talking about Jesus. The word grace is used 126 times in the Bible. If the Bible says something once, we should pay attention. If it, the Bible says something 126 times, we should preach on it, we should talk about it, we should think it, amen? amen. Think grace. Grace, the Greek word is charis. Everybody say charis. You learned the Greek word for grace today. It's charis. It means favor, gift, benefit. When you attach grace to God, you get God's favor. You get God's gift. You get God's benefit. I like how the Oxford Pocket Dictionary defines this word grace. I think we could do well learning from it. The the free and unmerited favor of God. That's what grace is. We're talking about the free an unmerited favor of God. Webster's Dictionary defines grace, unmerited divine assistance given to humans for their regeneration or sanctification. We need God's grace. The scriptures point to this God who is a God of grace. Some have defined this word grace to be an undeserved gift from God. Why do we put the word undeserved on that definition. Here's why. Because the reality is we all deserve death. If you go back into the New State of Mind series, go back to Think Gospel, where we have to think cross in order to think gospel, and why is Jesus hanging from the cross? Because by his grace, he took our place. Amen? That we deserve to pay for our our sin. All of us are sinners in this room. At one point or another, we sinned against God. We separated ourselves from God. And what God did is he showed us grace by sending his son Jesus to take our place on the cross and to bring us back into right relationship with God through faith in him by his grace. Does that make sense? So when we, when we look to Jesus on the cross, we're seeing grace. When we look to Jesus rising from the grave, we would have stayed dead in the grave. We're seeing grace. When we put our faith in Jesus, that, that opportunity to say, I believe in him, and he says you'll be saved, you're believing in his grace and his grace is enough. If you believe it's enough, say amen. amen. I like how this reformer J.I. Packer once wrote about the subject grace. He says, what is grace? In the New Testament, grace means God's love and action towards men who merited the opposite of love. Grace means God moving heaven and earth to save sinners who could not lift a finger to save themselves, amen? We couldn't do a thing to save ourselves. We just contributed sin upon sin upon sin. And God says, I have grace upon grace upon grace. Grace means God sending his only son to descend into hell on the cross so that we guilty ones might be reconciled to God and received into heaven. 
I think that's one of the reasons why we sing about grace, amazing grace. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater, amen, than all of our sin. You can't outsin his grace. You could reject his grace, I think, which would be a terrible idea, or you can embrace his grace and become a new person and think new. I, I see a, a story in the Bible where Jesus shows us a beautiful picture of his grace. And I wanna go ahead and look at this story. We'll exposit this story a little bit and hopefully we'll find ourselves in the story and be able to think grace. If you're ready, say ready. Okay, let's turn with our Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, we're gonna read some of these verses. It's a story about Jesus encountering a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Everybody say Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. He's an awesome little dude. And we learn about him in Luke chapter 19. If you're there, say, I'm there. The text says that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him, Jesus, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Is that, that's special right there. What an invitation where Jesus invites himself to stay at your house. Zacchaeus was not going to turn that down. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. When they saw it, they all grumbled. Hey, Joey, he's gone into the guest of a man who's a sinner. That was just the voice that was in my head. <laughs> That's how I read it, all right? And verse number eight, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it. Not one-fold, not two-fold, not three-fold, but four-fold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. To seek and to save the lost. I want to continue to think Jesus with you here. And hopefully we'll continue to think Jesus more and more as we unpack this narrative. I want to highlight just a couple pieces of scripture on the screen here today. First off, we see a little bit of information about Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. What does it mean for somebody to be a chief tax collector? A tax collector alone in the Bible would separate you from society. It was the modern day gangster, thug, sinner, um, mob, boss, person, right? The tax, the tax collectors, no one likes tax collectors even today. They definitely didn't like them back then, right? Taking your taxes. Tax, taxes were too high. This was the chief tax collector, Zacchaeus. He was a bad dude. And he made a whole lot of money to prove it. He, he was rich. He, it, 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 it shows that in his story. He was the chief tax collector who was rich. Tax collectors were basically 
um, Israelites who basically turned away from the law of God and they said, you know what, I'll join with the Romans or I'll join with the Zealots or I'll join in this different party and what we'll do is we'll become taxers of our own people and we'll tax them an extra high tax and we'll keep the profits for ourselves. So tax collectors were looked at people as people who were just outcasts, they were just scroungy, you didn't want anything to do with them. Now here's the chief tax collector. And he hears that Jesus is walking by. And everybody's impressed with Jesus. Jesus is the very image of the invisible God, full of grace and truth. Here's what I want you to know. People are attracted to grace and truth. If you're going to be a Christian, be a Christian that's full of grace and truth. There's too many Christians out there that are just full of truth. And they just want to beat you on the head of the truth. And they have very little grace. And then there's Christians out there that are just full of grace. And they have very little truth. And everything's okay. And everything's good. And we don't care about nothing. Just Jesus skipping through the field with a white dress on. And he's just, everything's grace. It's all grace, but no truth. And Jesus was full of grace and at the same time full of truth. So he could hang out with Zacchaeus, the rich tax collector. And at the same time, he could go in the temple and turn over tables. He's full of grace and truth. And we're called to walk in him. We're called to think grace. And so here we have the scene. This chief tax collector who was rich and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. I hope that there's some people in the room that are there today. Maybe you came to church and you're just seeking to see who Jesus is. I hope today you'll get an accurate picture of who Jesus is. I want to I keep on reading. Let me highlight something else on the screen for you. The text says that he looked up. And said to Jesus, or said to, Jesus said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. You know what this shows me? This shows me grace. Does it show you that? Like the reality is right, Zacchaeus shouldn't have anything to do with Jesus. Because historically the rabbis, the prophets, the high priests couldn't be even in the same room with sinful people. Definitely wouldn't get close to a tax collector. Now Jesus stops in his tracks, points up at Zacchaeus, who, mind you, how bad do you wanna see Jesus? Would you be willing to climb a tree to see him? Zacchaeus says, you know what, I'm a man of wealth and stature, I'm a chief tax collector, and right here he says, listen, I don't care what people think about me, I gotta see him for myself. He climbs up into this tree and Jesus stops and looks directly at him. I wonder if Zacchaeus' heart almost stopped beating because he knows his name. There's never been like a formal introduction that I've found in the Bible. But can I remind you that Jesus knows your name here today? Maybe you came in here today and you don't think that God cares about you. He may, you don't think maybe he knows nothing about you. He knows everything about you. You can't hide from him. Doesn't matter how high or low you go. Doesn't matter if you make your bed in the depths of the sea. The Bible says that he'll meet you there. And he meets Zacchaeus at the tree. And he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus goes, he knows my name. And he says, hurry and come down. Like he's friends. I'm staying at your house today. What a, what a gift of grace, amen. That Jesus is like, hey, I wanna, I wanna hang out with you. So he hurried and came down and he received him joyfully. The fact that Zacchaeus received him joyfully, I think it shows a picture of receiving grace. 
Let me give you a, a, a reality statement. Simple stuff. Be worthy of taking note if you want. Thinking grace leads to showing grace. If you think grace, you'll show grace. Jesus is showing grace here because he doesn't have to hang out with Zacchaeus. He could be doing a thousand other things. But he says, I must stay at your house. The word must means definite action right now. Why does, why does Jesus have to stay at Zacchaeus' house? Think about it. Why? I think he wants to show us just how much he wants to demonstrate grace. He wants to demonstrate to us just how passionate he is about showing you today that he's not done with you. By saying, I must stay at Zacchaeus' house, he's saying to you, you're not done yet. He's showing Zacchaeus, I have, to, I, I have a divine appointment because I want to show Walk Church something. Thinking grace leads to showing grace. Now, this is important. I want you to catch it. Jesus thinks grace, so he shows grace. When it comes to a new state of mind, I don't want us to just love God with all this new passion in our mind. What if we started loving people with a new mind as well? Thinking grace leads to showing grace because when, you're, when you recognize that you're actually standing under a waterfall of grace, it becomes a whole lot easier to show it to somebody. Jesus says in another place, he who has been forgiven of much forgives much. He who has been forgiven much tends to love much. And I think Jesus here demonstrates to Zacchaeus, you know what, I'm gonna show you grace. And it leads to a, a response from Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus just wanted to get a peek. But Jesus takes it further. Jesus shows him grace by saying, I wanna hang out with you. I wanna talk to you. Let's look at this next verse in the highlighted text right here. What I wanna show you is this. Must stay in that, received him joyfully. That he received him joyfully. Received him joyfully. But we see while Zacchaeus received joyfully, the other people in the crowd didn't think joyfully, did they? Right, here's their response. They started grumbling. Whenever you start grumbling about God's grace, you might be leaning more toward a Pharisee than a disciple. Look, they say, he's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. This Jesus must not know what he's doing. This could have been a dangerous act. This could have been a risky act. It was all those things, but he still did it. He showed him grace, and now the Pharisees began thinking something different. They began thinking, he's gone in to be the guest of the house of the sinner. So what they're thinking is the opposite of grace. They're thinking law. They're thinking law. Let me give you one more reality statement, things that I think we should all be aware of. Thinking grace is greater than thinking law. Thinking about the grace of God is greater than thinking about the law of God. It's important to understand that. Because when you only think law, you'll judge people by the law. But when you think grace, you'll judge people by his grace. And so when somebody sins against you, you can immediately start thinking law. Or you can start thinking grace. When you start thinking grace, people start responding with grace. Notice Zacchaeus' response. He came down from the tree and was joyful. When we sow the law, we'll get the law back. When you sow grace, trust God, you'll get grace back. 
what we see here in John 1.17. Thinking grace is greater than thinking loss. The law came through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we don't just think the left side of your Bible. The Old Testament is good and right and true, and we should learn from it, and we should have a healthy appetite of the Old Testament. But we should never stop there because the law came through Moses. But grace and truth came through Christ. Thinking Jesus means thinking grace. Thinking grace is greater than thinking law. If you got all that, say I got it. Let's keep on moving. Luke chapter 19, we're continuing to look through Zacchaeus' story. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. He keeps going. This grace is starting to work in his life. He says, If I've defrauded anyone of anything, let's go to the next verse. If I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it fourfold. I notice here that thinking grace caused action in his life. If you think grace and it doesn't move you to do anything, then maybe it's not grace. Maybe it's a counterfeit grace because the grace of God motivates us. The grace of God compels us. The grace of God controls us to do stuff that may be even radical. This right here is a radical act. As I was thinking about what to preach on this week, I was tied really between two subjects, whether it was to to preach on thinking grace or whether it was to preach on thinking repentance. Thinking repentance is so crucial because Jesus talks all about repentance. If you don't have repentance, you don't have the Christian life. But God taught me something as I was thinking about it. He said, thinking repentance is a byproduct of thinking grace. So, So the second point of the message here today is think Jesus by thinking repentance. Think grace by thinking repentance. Let me give you the definition of repent. It's so good. I never knew this until this series. The actual Greek word for repentance is metaneo. It just means to change one's mind. You should have a new state of mind if you're thinking repentance. So when Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, repent for the kingdom is near, Pastor Gary got it right. He said, change your mind and think kingdom. Repent and believe in the gospel. Change your thinking from law and believe in grace. Repent and turn to Christ. It means I was once going this way. My mind said, go this way, go this way, go this way. Repent means I'm changing my thinking and I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to go this way. It's a new state of mind. That's what repentance means. It means change one's mind. And you know what happened here, church? Listen to me here. What happened is God showed Zacchaeus grace and he changed his mind. Do you see it in the scriptures? Let's look back at it. Look, Luke 19. This is thinking repentance. Zacchaeus stood with a new mind. And he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods... I give to the poor. It never says that Jesus told him he had to do that. It's not like Jesus said, all right, if you do this, I'll do that. That's not grace. Grace is just Jesus welcoming into his life. Grace is Jesus saying, I'm staying at your house today. Grace is me showing you grace. Jesus is saying, I'm showing grace. And Zacchaeus goes, you know what? I just all of a sudden want to just give. Why you want to give, Zacchaeus? I'm just, the grace. The grace of God has changed me. 
Look at the next verse. He says, not only that, he says, I've defrauded people. Remember, he's a chief tax collector. He's stolen a lot of money. All of a sudden, he decides in his heart that if I've defrauded anyone anything, I'm going to restore it fourfold. That's radical grace. Think about Zacchaeus showing up to people that he's defrauded. And he's saying, look, you know what? I stole $100 for you. Here's $400. What? Yeah, Jesus did that in my life. What a witness. He would start to think grace. Why would you do that? that? They don't deserve that. That's grace. It's not a thing you, do, you, don't, you don't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's his grace. The grace of God takes us to a new place with God. And it's there that we start thinking repentance. We start changing our mind. We start changing the way we think. There was a little book in the Bible uh, called Titus. And Paul wrote this book to Titus where he shares these words. Will y'all read this off the screen with me? Can we do it together? Ready? One, two, three. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. Let's keep going. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify. Right? It's what he did for us. To purify us. I wanted to highlight this first part because I didn't want you to, mi to miss it. That this grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Now what, what teaches us? Is it, the scripture, does it say, does it, do, you, do you scare people into the kingdom? Like you go to a person, you say, believe in Jesus. No. I think we grace people into the kingdom. Amen, why? Now, I'm not, a, I, I, I'm not against evangelism. I'm, not, I, I'm so for it. I think that we need to be sharing our faith and testimony. We need to be sharing the gospel more. That's why we think gospel. We need to be sharing our lives with people more. Jesus didn't just say, Zacchaeus, believe. He said, Zacchaeus, I want to go to your house. Invited him into his life. What an evangelism approach. I want to do a small group with you, Zacchaeus. Let's have a charge up. What came out of that charge up? A whole lot of reconciliation. A new person walked out of the house. Zacchaeus walked out and said, I just had a group, me and Jesus, and I got a whole lot of, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do some, some stuff. I, I want to think new. I'm going to think repentance. So I think that starting with, starting with grace, when you share your story, when you, when you share about your faith, I hope that we're doing that. I hope that we're taking steps of faith to share about what God's done in our lives. But do it with such a spirit of grace. Listen, I don't deserve it. I, never, I didn't earn it. I'm a sinner. I'm wretched. I'm the one who the song's about. I'm the wretched sinner. But Jesus saved me. That's what I'm offering you. I'm offering you the grace that God gave me. I want you to be in heaven with me, brother, sister. Choose grace. And that only happens through Christ dying on the cross, rising from the grave, taking on your sin, taking on the wrath. Choose grace. 
The verse finishes in Titus 2. It finishes up with these words, purifying yourself for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. When you've experienced the grace of God, you're eager to do what's good. When you're somebody who's, a, who's an addict of grace, you're just like addicted to grace, just love the grace of God, you're just covered in the grace of God, you, just, you need the grace of God, you're soaked in the grace of God, you're eager to do what's good. Don't we see that here in Zacchaeus' life? He's eager to do something new. The apostle Paul got saved from radical sinful persecution in Acts 9. He, he went busted right up into the synagogue and just started sharing grace. Now he got kicked out and almost killed, but it, he was eager to do something. They had to train him like, hey man, there's a better approach than that, right? But he was eager that if we're really transformed and consumed with grace, that shouldn't give us a license to sin. That should give us a motivation to say no to sin, Yay. right? Look back at that, the first part of the verse with me really quick in Titus 2, just really quick. It says, it teaches us. What is, grace is the greatest teacher, isn't it? Grace is the greatest teacher, George. Greatest, grace is the greatest teacher, Peter. People online, grace is the greatest teacher. It teaches us to say no to sin. Some of you are having these wrestling match battles with sin. And you're like, I can't say no, I just can't say no. It's because you lost sight of grace. You can't, the law doesn't teach you to say no to sin. The law just teaches you that you're in sin. The grace of God says you can say no. You're covered in grace. That's good. Teaches us to say no to uh, ungodliness, worldly passions. Grace teaches you how to live self-controlled. Grace teaches you how to be upright. Grace teaches you how to live godly lives in this present age. Some of you guys think grace is all about heaven. Grace is about today. In this present age, you can think grace. As we look at the end of this verse one more time, for he himself, look, we are the people of grace, aren't we? People of his very own. Who is he? He's grace. Let me go ahead and make it to the closing. I hope you're understanding what it means to think grace. It means to think repentance. It also means to think generous. Think generous. Think generosity. Don't we see this in Zacchaeus' life as we look back at his life one more time? It says, and Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, behold, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor in Luke 19, right? He says, he says look, Jesus, I don't want to hold on to it anymore. I want to start thinking generous. That I think people would see Jesus more clear if, if, if people saw people being more generous. I do. If radical generosity just started to come out of us, it's one of our core values, generous living. It's something that we get to display here at Schofield. I'll tell you what, there were so many people that pulled me aside Thursday night at the trunk or treat and said, man, thank you for this hot dog. Where's your church? Right here. Right? The hot dog did that. God used it. It was generosity. It was saying, you know what, I just want to be generous. Why? For the sake of being generous. Because God has given me so much reason to be generous. He's the owner of the cattle on a thousand hills. Now, I'm not a farmer, but that just means he's got it all. The cattle on a thousand hills, God says, I own all those. I can do whatever I want with it. And I promise you the principle is true. The more you give, the more he'll give. Because you're not going to outgive God. 
The more you, you know, if you're in moments of generosity where you're like, I don't know if I should do it or not, I would do it and trust that God will match it and do all the more. This isn't prosperity gospel, this is biblical. I'm not saying that, hey, you know, do this so God can give you more. No, do it because you've received grace. Because you've been so overwhelmed by the grace of God, I hold things loosely. I don't even grip it so tight anymore. I'm not as critical as I once was. I'm not as much of a complainer as I once was. You know why? Because I'm drowning in grace. I'm just, I'm like trying to come up out of grace and I'm just, I'm in it. That's the message of Christianity. So we're covered in grace. Let's show that to people by showing off generosity. We see it in the next passage. We're almost done here. If I've, if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it fourfold. Now, I think, that, I think that Zacchaeus could do that. You know why? Because he realized the richness of God's grace. Once you realize that God's got enough grace to cover all your, your needs, all your means, all your struggles, he's, he's got enough. I'll show it to you. Ephesians chapter one, verse seven. In him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to what? According to not just grace, the riches of his grace. He's got riches of grace. I like the word rich, especially when it's tagged to grace. The richness of of his grace. The, ES, the ESV study Bible comments on this passage. Here's what the study Bible says. Zacchaeus's actions reveal that his repentance and faith are genuine. The example of Zacchaeus, who gave away half of his goods, underscores the kind of open-handed generosity that characterizes those whose hearts have been transformed by the gospel. That repentance and generosity will follow somebody who's really saved. I know for me, that was one of the, the motivations for me to start tithing. I used, when, I, when I just got saved, it was hard for me to tithe. It's hard for me to give 10%. I was, I was gripping that. I was like, can I just give 9%? And then I realized that I've been covered in grace and that God's got it all anyway. It's a joy for me to tithe. I, I actually moved up from 10% to 10.5%. I added a 0.5. I, I tried 11, I wasn't there yet. But I, but I tried it though. I gra- I, let, let me tell you something. I, if I could go to 12, I would. Because I've seen, the only place where God says test me, it's in the area of generosity. You don't have to be rich to be generous. You have to be generous to be generous, amen? You have, to be, you, have to, you have to see the grace of God. That'll motivate you to be generous. As our worship team comes up, I wanna close just with one, one, one more quote that I hope would kinda tie some of this up for you. It comes from Pastor Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers. I think he really understood the concept of grace and he really understood the concept of generosity. Here's what C.H. Spurgeon says. He says, the bridge of grace will bear your weight, brother. Thousands of big sinners have gone across the bridge. Yeah, tens of thousands have gone over it. Some have been the chief of sinners. Did we just see one? 
We saw Zacchaeus cross the bridge. Some have come at the very last of their days, the thief on the cross. But the arch has never yielded beneath their weight. Spurgeon says, and Spurgeon was battling with depression heavily when he wrote this. He died in his 50s. He struggled with a lot of depression. He said, I'll go with them, trusting to the same support. It will bear me over as it has for them. I want to encourage you this morning that the grace of God, listen to me, listen to me, look at me, is greater than all of your sin. And the grace of God, when you see it, when you believe it, when you receive it, transforms our thinking. It makes you think new. It makes you think biblical. It makes you think kingdom. The grace of God starts to make, make you think generous. You're like, man, I never was generous before. I used to be so tight. But when the grace of God hits you, you just become generous. You just become more free because you're walking not by the law, but you're walking by grace. And grace is strong enough to take you home one day. That when you get to heaven, you don't pull out all your good works. This is my resume. You just say one word, grace. It's all I got. It's all I need. And Jesus has extended his grace toward me. It's just the God that he is. So I change my thinking. I repent. I turn away from sin, worldliness, sin, disobedience. You know what? I'm turning and I'm choosing grace. So even when I fall, I get back up in grace and I step again. And then I fall and I step again and I'm, and I'm moving forward in grace. Don't move backwards in the law, move forwards in grace. Think new, think grace. Let's pray.